Hello, and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I am also an editor at Light Reading. Wow, what a coincidence. Hi, Kelsey. (laughs) Hi, who knew? (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that's never happened before. Um, uh, Kelsey, anyway, um, so uh, we have a a great guest on the podcast today, Mr. Patrick Lopez of Core Analysis, uh, who used to work uh, in the Telefonica, in Telefonica, in the carrier space. He used to work in uh, at NEC in the vendor space, and he knows all kinds of things about the RAN uh, RAN technologies, the RAN network. And all that that implies. <laughs> um, He's done all the things and knows all the things. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. So uh, an excellent guest for us. And before we get to his remarks, um, I just wanted to remind people that the Open RAN North America uh, conference, which is a two-day conference that we'll be referencing a lot in our um, discussion, it's happening December 6th and 7th at the Embassy Suites uh, in Dallas. Uh, next to the Frisco Hotel and Convention Center. So it's listed as Dallas, Texas. It's it's kind of closer to Frisco, Texas, but it's in North Dallas. So uh, look it up. You'll figure it out. We'll link to it in the uh, show notes. And, or you can uh, carpool with Phil. Right. Uh, you can carpool. Okay. <laughs> the long drive from South Fort Worth <laughs> to North Dallas, is uh, that should be exciting. So yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Open Ran North America. Hope to see you there, and uh, that's where you'll meet people like our speaker and our uh, guest, uh, Mr. Patrick Lopez. Patrick Lopez from Core Analysis. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Phil. Great to see you again and to talk to you again. Uh, yeah, I mean we've we've uh, run into each other at uh, it. Now that you've been an analyst. Uh, uh, I always kind of thought of you as an analyst, by the way, <laughs> you were, you're one of the few people that could explain things in the industry that made sense to me. And, Thanks. That's um, very nice of you. <laughs> you were, you were at NEC for a while before, yeah. and then you were, uh, uh, in the operator world. I can't remember which operator you were at. Telefonica. You were at Telefonica before then. Yeah. So you've got, you've definitely got some, uh, some industry experience, uh, you know, on the operator side, some vendor experience. Uh, and also I say, you know, with NEC, you know, not just vendor, but also kind of broadly systems integrator experience as well. Um, you know, they kind of do everything. It's yeah. <laughs> it's it's always hard to put them in a uh, put them in a box. But now you kind of have this great, um, uh, I say, you know, great uh, perspective in that you get to sit back and you know uh, be an observer and give people you know kind of uh, analysis of what what you're seeing. What, what the technology developments mean and not, you know, have to maybe guard your, uh, uh, guard your words as carefully. <laughs> um, so, so that must be entertaining. <laughs> it is indeed. I mean, it's, um, I always like the analyst word because, um, I mean, it's amazing to have, you know, the chance to be able to spend time thinking about a topic and actually, um, put it out there, uh, and um, and sometimes uh, people find it useful. So it's rewarding, you know, from that perspective, uh, to be able to live from uh, your intellectual property. Um, and uh, I mean, as you mentioned, I, I think I'm not a generalist. Uh, I tend to focus on the topics that I know well. Uh, I have a little bit of operational experience uh, from a vendor, from a system integrator, and from an operator's perspective. So. 
I try to uh, kind of dispel the myth and uh, provide visibility on you know what what is the gap between maybe what people say um, and what is happening in reality in the field. Uh, so that's yeah. that's what I'm focusing on. That makes sense. There's also a you know, uh, and that's a valuable thing because in the telecom space, you know, the 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 actual deployments, the technologies, the the operators necessarily move slower than the um, than the optimism, the marketing, and the <laughs> and the hype on the other side of it. Um, and that brings us to OpenRAN, uh, and if, it, more specifically, OpenRAN North America uh, is going to be the you know the conference that we're we're both going to be at uh, uh, very soon. Um, so I think it's fair to ask you just broadly, um, what do you think the state of open RAN is in North America and what do you, um, what's your view of the market opportunity, uh, here? Thanks, Phil. Um, I have mixed feelings about open RAN in North America. Uh, on one hand, you know, maybe the, the poster child for open RAN in North America is DISH. Uh, yeah. because it's a greenfield operator that has designed their network uh, to be open and disaggregated, and Open RAN is a big part of that. Um, and you can look at this, and, and from an operational perspective, I think that they've been able certainly to roll out their network and to uh, meet the regulator's target in terms of coverage and capabilities um, in time, so that's a win for Open RAN. Um, but on the commercial front, I, I don't know that you know Dish has been all that successful in attaining their targets, uh, which kinds of you know um, you don't know whether to categorize <laughs> to categorize Dish as a successful Open RAN. Uh, and, and then that there are uh, most of the network operators in North, uh, in North America that are looking at Open RAN from different perspective. Um, but Open RAN is a journey, right? And to implement Open RAN, you have to pick the right window. Uh, and for some yeah. operator, the window was from 4G to 5G. From others, uh, it might be from going from 5G NSA to 5G SA. Um, for others, it might be a geopolitical situation and a rip out of uh, uh, Chinese vendors in their network. We see a little bit of that in Canada, for instance. You say you see that uh, in some cases in Latin America, and from for others, maybe it will be either private networks or 6G. You know, so uh, um, right now we're kind of at the beginning of open run in, in North America. Uh, we we we're seeing some implementation. Um, but we don't see the level of maturity that we've seen in other markets. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I think with Dish, it, what you bring up is interesting because it is it it is the carrier to watch as far as it being a mass market, um, you know, carrier. They have hit their technical goals in terms of uh, you know covering as many people as they told the government they would cover. You know, with the, with the uh, with reach and with service and s- stuff like that. Of course, they're also you know, it's it's hard to decouple um, their technical their their ability on the service side from the fact that they're um, you know still renting other providers' networks. I think T-Mobile in this case, yeah. and so so you know you got to have to factor that in, and then factor in what have they been able to do from a cost or a services point of view that's really remarkably different than anybody else. And I don't see a lot going on there. Um, or 
I, d- I don't see that dramatic of a difference, I guess I should say. So, so the only thing there is to do is wait, you know, <laughs> wait and see how it plays out because they've also got some financial, uh, uh, kind of gravity hitting them right now with, uh, you know, dishes, pay TV business, uh, falling, falling down a little bit. And, you know, so they're getting pressure on, on, on that side of things. And that, you know, feeds into, uh, so, somehow it's all connected, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying, I'm struggling to understand that company, but, uh, uh, but yeah, they're, they're the one to watch. So it's like, it, it's kind of an interesting, uh, thing to see whether they're, whether they're going to, wh- what they end up doing, uh, you know, with their network. Uh, Anyway, Kelsey, uh, you you want to you want to weigh in here or yeah, move, move I, us uh, along? Yeah, what? So, um, I guess what are some of the potential success stories, and how do some of the newer um, uh, RAN approaches unlock some um, you know new operating efficiency or new revenue sources for uh, operators? Um, thanks, Kelsey. I, I think. You look at Open RAN and the the first, let's say, premise of Open RAN was around cost savings, um, either in the form of, you know, virtualization and cloudification uh, with the associated disaggregation of hardware and software, so commercial of the shelf hardware is cheaper than appliance, and then. Centralization of the control plane allows for more automation, which reduces the OPEX. Um, that's that's one part of it. Another part of it is if it's open, using open interfaces, it favors the emergence of new vendors. Um, so as you have new vendors and a richer ecosystem, you put well more competition, which usually is good for uh, price attrition uh, over time. Um, and that's all well and good for Greenfield, for instance. Uh, but for Brownfield, you have a whole level of additional costs that come in with just bringing a new technology or bringing a new vendor in the network. So those kind of balance each other out, right? So it's not you, you wouldn't do it just for the cost saving because probably the cost savings will end up being eaten up by the cost of transformation. Um, now, the good news is that that transformation or part of that transformation is necessary irrespective of open RAN. You know, if you're going to go to 5G standalone and then 6G, you need a network that is more cloud native. So you need to have that disaggregation of hardware and software. You need to create a, a virtualization layer that allows you to automate your network at scale. Um, so all of that is necessary for your network transformation anyways. And open RAN could be or not kind of like the first use case for to do that. So I think operators uh, are, are struggling with that. Now, the second part of your question, or, or rather the first part of your question was uh, what rev- revenue or what opportunities we can get from Open RAN. And I think that uh, the, the main uh, areas that we see so far or, or in the short the short term future are related to basically being able to create connectivity services that are more adapted uh, to different verticals, different industries, uh, different devices, which was I mean the original promise of five G uh, really. Uh, but in order to do that, um, well, you need 
a cloud network, so automation at scale. Uh, you need um, some level of slicing, so the capacity basically to create connectivity products end-to-end from your core to your transport to your access. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need uh, platforms that allow a third party to discover, uh, reserve, and uh, consume uh, those slices or, or those connectivity products. Um, and Open RAN participates uh, in that because, uh, for instance, uh, their RAN intelligence uh, in the form of RIC uh, and apps, which is an emerging uh, field that allows not only to understand very precisely the state and the health of the network, but also to discover its capabilities and uh, to uh, either reserve capacity within the network or to create optimization uh, capabilities that are either related to cost savings again, like, uh, you know, uh, energy uh, management and spectrum management, uh, or can be related to uh, new revenues in the case of creating private networks, for instance, that have very specific deterministic uh, connectivity capabilities that you cannot find in like the generic macro commercial network. Yeah, the um, Rick uh, ran intelligent controller and the apps. You've um, you've got a report about that, by the way. We should we should mention uh, on on uh, so you can go to uh, uh, the core analysis uh, website, which we'll link to um, for that. Um, the Rick being the platform that sort of runs the apps and sort of is is the I guess the the touch point for um, the development of some of these new services. Um, how how close are we to seeing operators uh, be able to unlock that and actually take advantage of it? And, and you know, because the, the the revenue side of Kelsey's question is really relevant because a lot of operators just simply don't want to go down a path if they can't create some kind of service that simply wasn't possible before. And so I'm 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 always uh, curious as to how close we are on on that on that. Uh, on that side, whether it's in North America or not? So the RIC is actually two platforms, uh, non-real-time RIC and near-real-time RIC. And the non-real-time RIC is the evolution of OSSs, uh, EMSs, and SON, self-organizing network. Uh, So that's really the ability to manage the radio access network and more generally your uh, end-to-end network using uh, uh, orchestration and management, uh, service uh, orchestration and management, mm-hmm. um, and to create those connectivity products that I mentioned, that I was mentioning. And that part, non-real-time RIC, I think is very attractive for a number of uh, players in the market. Um, first, you know, OSS, has been uh, a mature market for a long time that's ready for disruption. Um, The large radio vendors are not necessarily uh, OSS leaders, so there's um, an incentive for them (laughs) to move into that space. Um, And um, what what we see really is that um, the AI revolution uh, allows network operator for the first time to have an unprecedented 
visualization of that network uh, capabilities and to actually adapt the network either to devices or to the load uh, or to create very specific uh, connectivity capabilities that was not possible before, at least in a multi-vendor environment. You know, uh, before the only way to do that was possible, but you had to buy the whole network soup to nuts from the same vendor and right. then throw money at them and then they could do that for you, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but do that in like a normal network, uh, which is multi-vendor. That, that was impossible until that. Um, so I'm bullish on non-real-time rig, and we'll see actually, I think, a lot of announcements in Mobile World Congress next year uh, uh, in February in Barcelona around the, uh, probably the first like pilots. Uh, so we're talking, I mean, right now we're talking about labs implementation uh, where we'll talk early next year about pilots in live network and I'm thinking commercial deployment the year after you know uh, which is I mean which is fast in telecom years yeah uh, yeah yeah that's, that's uh, near real time rig uh, I think we're a long way from that uh, and the difference between the two is non real time rig is basically being able to do um, uh, feedback loop and to be able to do uh, to act on the network on a time scale that is more than one second, um, whereas near real time rig is less than one second. So, um, mm. and the difference is that in order to be able to re to act on the network with a frequency that is less than a second, well, you need to integrate deep. You need to to integrate into uh, the BBU or the CUDU, and you need to integrate into their schedulers. And that market is not ripe for disruption yet in the sense that, I mean, there's no radio vendor that is really willing to let a third party mess with their scheduler, which is like their crown jewel. Um, right. So I think that's going to take more time, probably four or five years before it gets to something um, that is commercial, unless, unless you happen to see vendors emerge that provide something that is that provide a radical difference versus the vendors that are there. And, and you have a couple of examples where you have new vendors that promise up to, you know, 50% spectrum optimization or reduction of 50% spectrum cost. If they are able to do that, arguably, you know, that that's something that traditional vendors cannot do and even emerging open run vendors cannot do by themselves. So that would be the impetus maybe to accelerate that, uh, that uh, implementation. And it'll work on a multi-vendor uh, level until such a time as one of the incumbents buys them. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then we're back where we started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I'm seeing though Hello, is everybody. Um, you actually have the <laughs> private networks. Today's uh, optimism brought to you by Phil. <laughs> Yeah, well. <laughs> Sorry, we cut you off. Sorry, Brad. No, no, I, I, cut you, I cut you off. Uh, well, we were just, uh, just you know, slandering the industry as we do normally do. No, no, uh, no, no, because these things do, do. I mean, consolidation is always, you know, there's sort of two things that are always um, the unspoken uh, seats at the table. I guess any yeah. any conversation you're having about technology and telecom, there's going to be rapid market consolidation or or un 
or market power, you know, kind of shifting. And then there's going to be the regulatory side, um, you know, where it's like, yeah, that all sounds great. Now we're going to make laws that keep you from doing that, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever, or we're going to put our thumb on the scale and invest, you know, heavily in this technology, but not this one. And yeah, that can make, that can, um, you know, has a, has a high degree of influence as to how these things, uh, sort of develop. Um, and, and since we're already here, um, uh, Kelsey, you want to, uh, well, actually we, we may as well just go ahead and ask before, uh, like, Oh, go ahead. The, before we jump off, I just want to, uh, I just want to react to what you just said. And I think it's particularly topical in North America, um, in the sense that in the U S for instance, um, we had the government express preferences, uh, and regulator express guidelines towards implementation of technology in the past. But I've seen over the last 18 months an actual shift. And uh, I see policy. Um, there's a lot of money that is put together uh, in uh, NTIA, uh, in DOD, uh, to actually uh, uh, promote the use of open and disaggregated networks. And it's not just open run, but open run is part of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I see that investment made in those are not just grant, but actual implementation. Um, and I think that 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 could tip the scale uh, because when it becomes policy, um, well, first, it's not just U.S. because when a, pol- when a technology policy uh, is enacted in the U.S., it has ripple effect uh, on a lot of different markets. Um, and then the amount of um, investment uh, that the U.S. government can pour into a specific path of technology uh, can really uh, accelerate deployment and um, uh, foster innovation. Yeah, exactly. Even more to the point, it gives the telcos involved the confidence to keep investing in the, in those things, you know, when they know that the government is going to be behind something over a long period. And and to your point, it does look like um, the federal government is very much, in favor of disaggregated networks, uh, a more diverse supplier base, um, and pulling away from, you know, this all started from the pull away from, you know, Chinese vendors having an undue influence in, uh, you know, not just federal uh, communications networks, but broadly, you know, all of our, our communications infrastructure. And then that left, especially in the, um, RAN market or in the mobile market that basically left you with two supplier, two major suppliers, uh, neither one of them based in, in North America. And so, so then it does make sense that the U S is, is highly bullish about, uh, you know, diverse suppliers, software centric cloud-based because that's, you know, that's where, uh, the technology expertise excels in this country, especially. Yeah. In the past it was, uh, like vague and, you know, um, generic, right. uh, but now it's very specific. They go down to prescribing actual technology and like, uh, implementation and architecture. So it's, um, I mean, as far as open run is concerned, that's a big, uh, that's a big endorsement. Sure. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how the buy America and, um, prep for, um, you know, receiving bead funding, how that is going to shape things over the next year or so. 
as well. Um, yeah, and we've seen the first grants uh, being delivered uh, in the innovation funds from NTIA. Um, I mean, there's 1.5 billion, I think, in total that will be available over the next 10 years. Now only 5 million have been dispersed, but it's starting. So it's uh, there's the promise of um, there's promise of funding for companies that want to invest there. So I, I think that also historically has stimulated ecosystems and um, and uh, the VC community. Yeah, for sure. Um, we we'll also wanted to, um, you know, give you an opportunity to give us a, a little bit of a preview of what you'll be discussing uh, at Open RAN America event, which is coming up, I believe, December 6th and 7th. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you. Um, I will be uh, speaking about RAN intelligence, and I will be speaking about how basically um, having a better visibility and better control of the run architecture in a multi-vendor environment opens the door uh, to a variety of new use cases. Um, well, first, for the first time, I think other elements within the network, but also outside even of the telecom operator, will be able to discover and consume uh, uh, those capabilities. Uh, will have a better understanding of the, the situation of the access in a specific network and uh, what they can do with it. Um, and second, um, we're seeing a lot of companies investing in AI ML uh, and producing actually, um, well, as close as you can imagine to a near-autonomous network. Uh, we understand that 5G is an order of complexity higher than 4G. Um, particularly in the radio, uh, where you have antenna, uh, antennas that have like 64, 128 antenna elements with uh, beams. Um, and the consumption of that, the electric consumption of that is massive, right? Uh, and until now, you know, we understood that a certain amount of running a network was waste. Uh, and we had no issue with that. But I think that being more green conscious, people understand that you don't necessarily need to radiate all the time at full power if basically it's not needed, right? So we see it in North America, you know, a lot of uh, urban core um, after uh, certain hours have a lot less traffic and a lot less demand. So why would you keep uh, your network up all the time? Um, we see also that, you know, this is hardly predictable. I mean, some of it is predictable, time of day, etc. But there are events, there's change in construction, etc., which make it really uneasy to manage that manually. Um, and being able to uh, basically have a system that is able to understand uh, as close to real time as possible what is the market, what is the demand of the network at this point in time in this geography. And to adapt to that, uh, that could go a long way towards uh, uh, telcos being able to fulfill their promises regarding, you know, more sustainable green networks. And, well, it's saving costs at the same time, so it's not, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, 
That'd be interesting. It, it, it's uh, uh, we'll look look forward to, and I'll, I'll pepper you with more questions about that when we get to the event. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for now, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it there and uh, and wrap up by uh, saying, uh, Patrick Lopez, thanks so much for uh, uh, for your time today, for speaking at the event, and for uh, giving us a bit of uh, a market perspective on uh, Open RAN in North America. It was great having you. Phil Kelsey, thanks a lot for having me, and I look forward to seeing you in person in Dallas. Yeah, Alrighty. thank you.